Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. It's a very warm welcome to Harry Bentley, fresh off a winner yesterday at Haydock. So you must be feeling rather chipper today, Harry. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, things are going good. I had another winner yesterday, which, um, which I was pleased with, obviously. Yeah, 26 winners for the season so far. How does that compare with previous years? So um, at this stage of the career, I'm definitely up on, um, uh, on winners and rides at this, this stage of the season. So obviously going into Royal Ascot, it's nice to be on a bit of a roll. And um, yeah, my confidence is high. Yeah, I might just mention, as we, we can start with a winning note, the winner yesterday, Cold Stare, uh, the, the first time tongue-tie in what looked to be pretty horrible conditions yesterday at Headache. How bad was it? More than anything, it was, um, I mean, it, it was obviously very soft ground, but it was fresh rain into the ground and it wasn't sort of holding or tacky. So uh, they were going through it. But this horse just relishes soft ground and I think that was the difference between winning and losing. Mm. Uh, and a good spell for you, apart from obviously the 26 winners this season, but you think you've had four winners this week, eight over the last two weeks. Is that something that you, you keep an eye on, the number of winners you have, or is it what all professionals say, I just go out and ride the next race? It's an element of that. I mean, obviously, you've just got to get, get your head down and, and ride whatever you've got, but you can't help but sort of look at your stats and see how things are going. And obviously, I'm aware that, that things are going pretty good. So I keep an eye on it. Um, I don't get too bogged down in the figures, but mm. um, no, when, when things are going nicely, you can't help but sort of see how it's going. So what would be the elements, you think, that are making 2019 a good start to the season so far in comparison to previous years? Well, I think more than anything, I've got a, a big stable behind me with Rafe Beckett's yard, and uh, any jockey needs that sort of support from a from a big big yard. And uh, you know, the horses are in good form, and uh, not only Rafe Beckett, but I've got some other trainers behind me giving me those uh, giving me those rides and, and winners. So, just um, yeah, that income of rides is probably proving proving to be uh, the difference. You've been around for a long time, even though you're still obviously relatively young, and you, you've got young looks as well, which clearly help. But you've, you've done a lot in the sport already. Of course, years ago, you were uh, a retained rider by Qatar Racing. So what was it like to get that sort of responsibility so early on in your career? Yeah, well, as you mentioned, I mean, I can't quite believe myself, but this is my 10th year riding, <laughs> and uh, not sure where the time's gone, but... Yeah, I got that, that position when I was quite young with Qatar Racing, which was obviously an incredible um, position to have got at such a young, young age. Um, and it was fantastic, don't get me wrong, it was, it was, it was really, really good and I got some, uh, some great experience from it. I rode in, in some very, very big races, I was pacemaking in, in some big races and uh, it, was, it was good times, I really enjoyed my time there and um, at that stage of my career I was put onto a, into a, onto a stage which I wouldn't have been otherwise. Just give us an idea, before we get a little bit deeper into that, about your progression into the sport um, and, and, you, and your background. Obviously, without wanting to sound uh, in any way stereotyping anybody, but you are very eloquent. Uh, you, uh, you speak very well, which I think would be one of the things that would, would help you get on with a lot of people in racing. Well, I think racing, uh, I suppose the sport sort of evolved in a way where your, your feedback and talking to owners and trainers is also a massive part of the whole thing. Yes, your riding has to be good and you have to perform um, on the horses, but you, it's also very important to come back. And when you get off those horses, you might have a big syndicate to yeah. talk to and they all want to know their, their, what your opinion is of, of the race you've just ridden and the horse and where it can go next. So I think um, once you're off the horse, that's also a massive, massive a part of, the, of our jobs now. Um, and I think, well, I feel as though I kind of deal with that quite well, and um, I suppose I enjoy that side of things as well. So for people at home who aren't entirely aware, how did you get into, into race riding? 
Well, just through my family, really. I mean, I've I've been riding horses, and I had ponies from from when I, from whenever I can remember myself and my brother. We did a lot of uh, hunting and uh, pony club, and we sort of got a lot of support from from our parents. And um, we were sort of more into the natural hunt side of things. But me being so small uh, allowed me to sort of be be able to go on the flat, and my weights always stayed very good. So that was sort of the, the path I wanted to take. And my father was very very sort of positive at me going yeah. down the flat jockey route. And, and who were the influences from trainers and jockeys that perhaps you looked up to uh, who would have helped you along the way? I mean, when I was younger, I mean, Frankie Dettori was the, was the person that I used to watch and took a lot of pleasure in sort of seeing riding winners and what have you. So uh, I think when I was sort of 18, 17, 18, when I was riding in races with him, it was sort of a big, it was quite a big uh, sort of point uh, to get to. It was, yeah. uh, it was fantastic. And I suppose I was living 20 minutes down the road with my parents when I was sort of 17 and used to go into Gary Moore's when I was young and uh, yeah it, it seemed to work very well going in there every morning and then yeah. during the summer holiday Gary sort of said to me if you if you get your license and I give you a few rides so it, it progressed from there and uh, like I say I was very very lucky I got a lot of support from my mo mother and father. Well obviously parents huge help but what, what was what was Gary like when, in those early days is he uh, you may see him on the race course he's always quite calm and relaxed and very level-headed about things is he the same person in the yard yeah he is I mean he uh, no everybody knows that, that he works incredibly hard at home and so do all of sort of Josh and Jamie and, and Haley. and uh, it was a great place for me to be because I sort of went in hadn't been in, worked in any other yards yeah. and it was it was hard work and uh, there was pl you know plenty to do and I, I got a very good grounding there and yeah. and uh, I think it set me off on a really good point and the fact that I didn't have to sort of move up to Newmarket from a, from a young age, 16, 17, I, you know, I stayed at home and it was only 20 minutes down the road so yeah. that also made a difference and, but it was, as I say, it was a really good place to start and I felt it gave me a, a good grounding. Bumped into Ryan much there? Not much, no, I think, <laughs> I think I saw him come in one morning um, which was great but yeah, I don't think I saw him any more times than that. Um, you obviously, you, we touched already on the, the Qatar racing, uh, the, the position there. What were the, what were the main challenges for you when you got that job? Bearing in mind that obviously Qatar racing was a burgeoning force within the sport at the time, and a lot of people were slightly taken aback that they'd uh, attached themselves to such a young rider with the, ex the, the lack of experience that you had at the time. Yeah, well, as I mentioned, it was a massive uh, boost for me to, to get a position like that, and when you're, I was actually at the end of my three-pound claim when they when they sort of took me on, and that as any rider is an incredibly important stage of your career when you're getting to the end of your claim. You sort of need to make an impression, otherwise you can sort of fall by the wayside a little bit. So it was very good to get me into the limelight a bit more. Um, as a young rider, obviously there are pressures that go with that, and I think. At times, I sort of well, looking back now, I didn't think this at the time, as you never do when you're young. But looking back now, I was I was I was quite young to be in that position, and perhaps my riding wasn't quite good enough at that stage. And I, but th then again, I learnt from that. Um, as I say, at the time, you never really think that, and you yeah. only sort of the, the benefit of hindsight. But it was there was pressures that go with it, but um, I felt like I learnt a lot from that whole process. Yeah, if you were to speak to yourself uh, in the, the 2019, Harry Bentley was to speak to the one who got the job at Qatar all those years ago, what would you be saying to yourself? Probably more than anything, I suppose, just uh, just just sort of take it as it comes. And I think when you, as you say, they were they were a big an outfit. They were had sort of burst onto the scene and put, yeah. were putting an awful lot into the sport. As they, obviously they they still are, but it was new then, and I think it was. I was in a bit of a panic to sort of prove myself a bit and everything, but you're best just yeah. to, you know, do what you do on a daily yeah. basis. Don't try and do anything different. And uh, I'd probably just tell myself just to, to, to relax a bit, I suppose. And yeah. I mean, my riding's come on an awful lot since I was since I was sort of 19 riding mm. the, in those days. So it's uh, it's easy to say to think now, you know, I wish I'd done this, wish yeah. I'd done that. But as I say, I think I learned from the process and sort of probably made me into the jockey I am now. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. I was at Newmarket yesterday. Um, obviously, when you get between 
the really big meetings and you know uh, Epsom and, and Royal Ascot, you tend to get quite quiet Saturdays. So the I didn't feel that although the racing was of a, a decent standard, it didn't really prop up a live match report. So um, the fact that Massar had worked on the July course yesterday morning, I thought it was worth going there to see Charlie Appleby and see what he made of the horse's workout, which was all very positive. Uh, it's good vibes, very good vibes, and I mean that—that's one of the—that's one of the clashes of the meeting if it comes off, isn't it? In the in the Prince of Wales estates, it, it, it's not a head-to-head by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be a really interesting race, but Sea of Class yeah. and Massar, two horses that thus far, I think it's fair to say, have made the, their names at a mile and a half, racing in a, a Group One over a mile yeah. and a quarter, and both, of course, racing for the first time this year. So. Yeah. So very interesting, and uh, throw in Crystal Ocean if he goes for the race as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, James, uh, Dave mentioning the action at Newmarket yesterday, not headline, but there was, I suspect, for you and, uh, and, and other people who appreciate times, that there was one headline performance at Newmarket yesterday. I'll credit Alex Steedman here, for who was our on-course reporter yesterday, and he flagged this up very well. But, so someone, I clock all the horse, the, the times at home and try and stay abreast of these things. I think we saw the birth of an absolute superstar yesterday in the shape of Visinari. His time was absolutely sensational. The sectionals back it up. Uh, we had a six furlong handicap that he was faster than, despite being, it should have been in receipt of 20 pounds of weight for age, according to the Time for Man Whitley weight for age scales. He was quicker than the opening seven furlong handicap, despite giving it, uh, carrying nine pounds more mm. than William Haggis's awe. Um, all it, it stacks up very well. I mean, he's. It's, it's. I think I would say it's one of the top three or four debuts in the last decade, easily, if well, not the best. We're going to have a look at it. He's the grey to the rail with the breastplate and the light blue sleeves. Uh, the horse in second is Ottoman Court, who was very well fancied first time up. Disappointed cheek pieces on yesterday, and he's beaten the rest of them convincingly. So. Take us through the things that Visionari did yesterday that you liked so much. Well, the third, the third horse in the Newmarket Maiden, he's given a £43 beating to. <laughs> um, he was, uh, as I say, £20 better than a horse winning off 95 in the very next race. Um, and more than that, better than a horse running off 88 earlier on in the card. It stacked up really well. Um, he typifies what I think has been an Anas Mirabilis for Mark Johnston's purchasing I mean, frankly, this is my opinion. He's making a lot of bloodstock agents look really silly. I mean, he, he buys from pedigree and filters by looks. Yeah. And, but because he, he's got such fantastic judgment of what's acceptable as a as a fault way beyond my ken, he's able to get horses relatively cheaply. Have got pedigrees just that are ridiculously good, and they come out and they run to like ninety odd first time out, yeah. very promisingly win a maiden. You think, well, why have they left that team now? I understand the downside. People say that there's some sort of resale thing going on, that if you buy a horse that's got some sort of faults, then you can't sell it to Hong Kong or whatever. All that is way beyond me, as I say. But in terms of the actual athletes, he's mm. sourced some remarkably talented horses very cheaply. What about Summer Moon? One yeah. four lengths going away at the um, the Dante meeting cost yeah. 1000 Um And there are plenty of other ones. Mm. He, he, and is it, he's a remarkable man. Uh, you, you mentioned the point just there. I think uh, I've read articles from Mark Johnson where he talks about the fact that at the level that he buys these horses at, the finance, he has to accept faults in these horses. And over, obviously, a vast period of time, he knows which faults he thinks he can work with. Is again, that basically again, the gist of his Yeah. Again, again, this is my view, but I think the middle market is collapsing in bloodstock sales. Um, there's, there are fewer people who are spending real money you know, the money that you can buy things with that's yours um, and isn't borrowed or isn't <laughs> sort of on behalf of someone who doesn't yeah. actually value money at all. But the actual, and I think having that focus on value is actually a really good thing because value and quality are associated yeah. with each other. And so if you've got an unlimited budget, you tend to think, oh, what does it matter? I'll just yeah. buy another one yeah. at the next sale. But when you're very focused on making every pound count or guinea count nowadays I think there are, that, that there are so few real cash buyers in the middle market yeah. where between say like 30 and 100 or 30 and 110 sort yeah. of thing that he's really I think he's going to get he's gonna, his, his success rate has spiked this year even for him yeah. he can only go in one direction 
well, very exciting to see what that two-year-old visionary can do in the future. Yeah. Uh, we're going to break away for the moment uh, because we are very, very happy to say that on the line we have Jamie Osborne. Jamie, good morning. How are you? Morning, Rishi. Very well, thanks. Uh, first of all, Jamie, uh, we hope that everyone's okay now. We've seen on, on Twitter, you've been posting over the last 24 hours, uh, details of that devastating fire that uh, engulfed a part of your yard. Could you just give us a little bit of a, 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 a synopsis as to what unfolded and, and when you uh, first got wind of what was happening? Yeah, got wind, yeah. The wind, sadly, was quite strong. Um, well, 4 o'clock yesterday morning, uh, I got a phone call. Uh, the bungalow is on fire. The bungalow is surrounded by 10 stables. Um, where I got out there and one side, it looked like, at that stage, it looked like we could get it under control. Obviously, the fire brigade had been called. Um, so we frantically were getting fire extinguishers and uh, thinking we could control it. Sadly, it was quite windy, and it was a kind of swirly wind that kept moving. And so one minute we looked like we got it under control, and then the next it was just petrifying. It just ripped through the building. Um, so then the, it was quite clear we were going to lose the building. So the priority then had to be, the, you know, there was, well, first the priority was everybody, there were three people in the, in the house. Then, obviously, once we got them out, um, we had to prioritise the horses. Um, we managed to get the bulk of them out, sort of, and then the electric cable uh, that fed the, um, the bungalow uh, snapped and was sparking on the ground, uh, mixed with water, lovely. Um, and then the wind really got up, and there were a couple of horses where the flames were virtually coming into their stables and we just couldn't get them out. Um, but we were frantically trying to just wet the, those buildings hmm. um, in order just so it didn't spread. And thank God. Look, it was fairly scary. The noise was horrendous. I'd never experienced a noise like it. Um, and, you know, we were there trying to seemingly control the uncontrollable where the consequences of not controlling it were going to be horrendous. But thankfully, I mean, the house was virtually gone by the time the fire engines arrived. There's six fire engines. Um, and look, no, not their fault at all, but they had to come from Swindon and, and mm. uh, Newbury, so it took a bit longer than ideal. Uh, but thankfully, look, now that the... the the the, the the dust has settled or the the flames have gone out. You know, we've got people lucky. Yeah, uh, and Jamie, you, you've uh, praised the Lambourne community for for rallying around you. Can you just give us a bit of uh, an insight into that? Well, obviously, we were all hands on deck, um, and you know, my staff was superb. Um, Katie, my wife, and I, and the three people who were in the house were frantically trying to just stop it spreading um, from from there to the, to the stables. Uh, Sarah Moore, Stan's wife, uh, Stan was actually in Scotland at a wedding, but Sarah is a total brick. So we ran the horse, he, they live about 200 yards away, so we got all the, the horses out, we ran them around, they thankfully had a few empty boxes. Sad for Stan, but great for us. Um, <laughs> and... Um, Horses went in there with Brian O'Rourke over the road. Horses went in there. and uh, But, look, everybody was brilliant. And then we had to just keep going through the morning. We galloped some horses on the grass later in the morning. We had four loose ones, a broken ankle, uh, two concussions. Well, I was <laughs> going to ask you how much... Day we've ever had. I was going to say how much has that put you out of your regular routine. But, um... Well, we, we actually couldn't get everything out yesterday. Um, but we got... The, the horses that were uh, are racing and about to race, they okay. They were all exercised as normal. Uh, and we'll look, we'll be back to normal tomorrow. We're back to normal today. There's obviously a lot of clearing up to do, um, but uh, you know the show goes goes on. I mean, the amazing thing yesterday was Constancia yeah. winning at, at at Chelmsford. There were three horses that ran yesterday that were were bang next to the fire. Um, I thought long and hard about them all being non-runners mm. um, 
and look, it was a finely balanced decision and you know, we decided to run them all. One of them grossly underperformed the two-year-old Colts at, uh, at Newmarket, yeah. albeit in the good race that James has just been talking about. Yeah. But you know, he's a significantly better horse than he showed yesterday. Uh, but he was he was quite close to the flames, and obviously, you know, he's never quite sure how the trauma affects them. Mm. There was smoke in all the boxes, obviously, and, you know, so, again, we're not sure about that. And then the poor filly that was closest to the flames and where the wind was swirling, and the flames were virtually going into her stable. We just couldn't get her out. Okay. So... Um, she was amazing. Look, the, what goes on in these horses' heads, I mean, some of them were a bit panicked and some of them weren't. She was amazing. We sent her racing yesterday and I was very kind of open-minded about the whole thing and she went and won. So it was just, you know, these animals just never cease to amaze you. You know, I mean, for her to go and do that yesterday mm. was extraordinary. Uh, and which dog is it interrupting the interview <laughs> at the moment? Ah, oh, Jesus, there's six to choose from. <laughs> at, at least the Canaries aren't having their Sunday morning. Uh, great, they seem to be doing quite a lot. Obviously, it's great that all the horses have emerged unscathed physically. Uh, obviously, yeah. you're saying you're not entirely certain what mentally it may have done to them. But also, uh, all humans, But because we've seen you post that photo with you in hospital with your daughter. Is it uh, laying behind you? Yeah, she was one of the ones that got buried yesterday morning. Um, we had four two-year-old fillies loose on Mandown, one of them being uh, a filly that's going to the Albany. I just thought, what else can go wrong today? Oh. Sadly, three other riders. We had a broken ankle and two concussions. We managed to catch all the animals eventually, and it doesn't look like there's any harm. It was just an extraordinary day. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. Uh, we're going to cast our minds back to yesterday at Haydock. We already touched on uh, some of the action uh, with Harry earlier on. One of the feature races yesterday was the Pinnacle Stakes. Um, Dave, this was a, a tremendous performance from a filly called Classique for William Haggis's team. Uh, was she, on merit, much the best? Or did True Self in the orange cap perhaps slightly underperform? I suspect that True Self did underperform slightly, but um, the interesting thing about the, or one of the interesting aspects of racing at Haydock yesterday was the fact that the ground had gone heavy. Uh, Classique was uh, a progressive horse last season. Uh, this was certainly the, the softest ground she had encountered, and obviously she coped with it really well. Yeah. Um, as you say, I mean, True Self, I think, was, was on coming into this race on a five-timer and mm. had done nothing but progress for Willie Mullins. But Harry, you, you rode Classique first time up, and the thing that she did yesterday that perhaps didn't help you first time was that she was a bit keen in a slowly run race. Yesterday she settled a lot better. Yeah, that's it. When I rode her, um, as you say, the pace was very slack, and it was her first run of the season. Perhaps it was a combination of a slow pace and her just running a little bit fresh. Um, she was just doing too much in the early parts and we turned it into a bit, bit of a sprint so mm. things didn't work out too well that day but she certainly settled really well there and yeah. uh, relished those conditions. Uh, James, she's got an outstanding pedigree. <laughs> uh, looking, the dam yeah. got better as she got older. Yeah. She's sort of following in those footsteps. She is. She's a Galileo filly, isn't she? You can't stop him, can you? When it comes to middle distance group races, they'll be there or thereabouts. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the, the, I think Dave summed the race up very, very well. I mean, it's it, it sort of True Self did underperform. There wasn't a great deal of substance behind. Horses rated 92 and 89 were fourth and fifth in a Group 3 race. But you can't take it away from her. She's thriving, as you suggest. Her pedigree suggests she would do as a four-year-old. Chacha Mehdi, she didn't win a Group 1, did you? I think she was Group 1 place for mm -hmm. Henry Cecil. Yeah. Well, I think he was probably just presented. Henry Cecil back in those days, maybe. Yeah. Um, but... She certainly got. I mean, she's she's got that pedigree to go yeah. higher than Group Three level, hasn't she? Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. She's. Uh, I think, the, as Harry was saying, I think she settles, uh, which would certainly help her now because that can't be as keen as she was first time up. But uh, perhaps that fizz uh, coming out. Harry took the fizz out of her beautifully uh, at Goodwood first time up. Yeah. 
connections will obviously remember that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they gave, yeah, gave assists out in horse racing like football. You, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like the David Beckham yeah. of horse racing. Arguable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about the John O'Gorn stakes uh, yesterday? Won by uh, a horse that is clearly Amazing. very, very progressive. Uh, there he is, back in third. Uh, safe voyage. Um, Harry, how good is this horse? I mean, are we not? Are we going to pigeonhole him as a soft ground Haydock specialist, or are we just going to say he's a darn good horse? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I suppose that he, it's hard, harsh to, to sort of pigeonhole him as a as a soft ground and Haydock specialist. But he certainly does love this course um, and these conditions, as it were. So I, I actually rode uh, Mitchum Swagger in this race, and he was travelling incredibly well, even into the, almost a furlong out. So. Um, Harsh, harsh, just to, to, to pin him on a Haydock specialist, but he's um, he certainly loves the place, doesn't he? He's got the chance to open a few, couple of new doors next time, though, hasn't he? Because if he goes to the Qatar Goodwood Festival, this one, uh, yeah. he will race on a very different track, and he'll more than likely get quicker ground as well. Mm. So, and obviously moving up to to Group Two level, so that will answer lots of questions that were posed as a result of that win yesterday, won't it? Does he have the weapons necessary yeah. to go to battle elsewhere, James? Yeah, I'd say he does. Yeah, he travels extremely powerfully, doesn't mm. he? And uh, one, one tip, of course, for uh, stats balls like myself, of course, Fast Company, whenever you see that name, Soft Ground, an amazing record that Stallion has mm. got on a soft surface. So uh, this horse loves a cut in the ground. Uh, see, uh, um, John Quinn mentioned the uh, who another very very good trainer by the way. Well, we're on the subject, wasn't he? Didn't he have three winners yesterday? He three. had three winners yesterday. Three winners. Uh, and yesterday. we've got John Quinn on the line. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, wait what? a minute. It says it here in the running order, <laughs> and I never saw it. Uh, morning, John. How are you? Good morning, everyone. Fine, thank you. Thank you. Excellent. Well, we obviously just reflecting on uh, Safe Voyages win yesterday. Before we talk about that, just give us a bit of background about this horse who obviously suffered a pretty serious injury when he was very young. He did. When he was a two-year-old, we thought he was very, very good. Um, I said to his owner, Ross Harmon, you must come and see this horse walk. So we came to Malton and we worked him up to Grass Hill. It, it was a bunch of six or eight of them and a couple of decent ones. And this, this horse came out of the pack and he went clear. And I said, I think we're in business here. <laughs> anyway, off we went to Pontefract and, um, you know, we expected a big run. And um, he finished sixth and I thought, hmm, can't work this out. Seemed OK after the race. Um, then the um, travelling head man rang me when he got home and he said um, he's very stiff, slightly lame uh, and he was quite lame the next day and he had a quite a severe fracture of his pelvis which um, we had to give him a long time off and it's taken a while to really get get yeah. to um, last year we felt he was nearly as good as as as, as, um, as, as, as he was um, yeah. but this year he seems to have improved again you know well, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that comment, you're nearly good as he was, because obviously a lot of normal people like myself hearing a horse suffers a fractured pelvis, that they will never be what they, they once were. How, how common is it to uh, rebound from an injury like that? Well, it's difficult because sometimes they never come back, you know, because well, he had, a, he had a, 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 quite a, a severe fracture, you know, it wasn't a hairline, it was a, it was a break. And it's, as, you, as you well know, the pelvis in a human being or, or, or an animal is, is so important. With the horse, it's, it's, it's pushing them from behind, you know. So he had a, he had a long time off and he, he, he came back and he won, but, you know, we felt he was probably winning because of his ability. But then he just seemed to really, really spark last year. And um, this year he seems even better, which is fantastic, you know. Uh, yesterday's performance, obviously, on that upward curve that he continues at the moment, but obviously all the victories that we've seen, all the victories this season have come at Haydock in soft ground, and therefore some people immediately go, he needs soft ground, and he's obviously a specialist at Haydock. Uh, yes. When you think about other targets, and yesterday post-race you mentioned the Lennox and maybe later on the season the Foray, what is it about the way he carries himself through a race that makes you think he's going to be fully effective elsewhere and on better ground? Well, he we took him to Galway last year, um, and we uh, uh, and he just got up on the line. Um, now Galway, as you know, is a, is a wonderful track, but it's a bit unconventional, and he it's it's um, right-handed, and 
the seven furlong they run gone to a bend then mm. the, then they run downhill and round the dipping up and and I mean he was a bit unlucky and he didn't get a great run through but he coped well with the with everything that that Galway threw at him so that makes me feel that um, as long as there's a bit of ease in the ground that he coped with most tracks you know his movement this year is fantastic you know he's moving really really well and um, I've just spoken to the headman in the yard because I'm in Ireland looking at horses but I I, I've spoken to the head, the head man and my daughter, and they said he pulled out this morning and trussed up really well. So um, I think he, I think he, he can cope with different tracks as long as there's not firm in the ground, you know. Uh, so that's that's the main, the main uh, decision yeah, yeah. for the future when you think of where we're running. As long as there's some, yeah. uh, there's no yeah. jar in the ground, or is is that the yeah, main yeah. Uh, criteria? Yeah, I mean we took it to Leperstown last year, we and for a big handicap, and I really fancied him. But we had a walk on the track, and it was, it was just one of those years where it was very difficult for clerks of the courses and mm. all over all over uh, Ireland and England. So we felt the ground was just a bit quick for him, and I was glad we didn't run him that day. So if there was, if we take him somewhere and there's jar on the ground, he won't run. But you know, good ground, he'll be he'll be as effective on good ground. Okay. And the Lennox Stakes at uh, the Qatar Goodwood Festival, the potential next target. Or have you got something in mind before that? Uh, uh, that's certainly a target. I mean, we're going to have to. Have, we're going until until we got through yesterday. It's difficult to plan again, you know. Because yeah. He, that was his toughest test. So we're going to have a good think about it and and, and speak to his owner and 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 look in the book and 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 go from there. And if there was a a, a Group One race for him, obviously the foray is over the distance that he's excelled at yeah. so far. Would you yeah. would you ever consider maybe easing him back in trip at all? Uh, yesterday we spoke on racing TV about potentially having a go at the Sprint Cup yeah. at Haydock if the ground is soft. Yeah, I mean if, if yeah, I mean if you learn anything out, I mean he's not a slow horse. Hmm. I mean he got there, you know, between the two and the one yesterday he got there and he was absolutely bombing, you know what yeah. I mean? And he's never been a slow horse, so it's something we think about, you know. But uh, I actually had him in the Lincoln this year and I was. <laughs> was working terribly well and was, we were we were really looking forward to running him in the Lincoln but the ground was too quick for him okay. so anywhere between 6 and a mile with we'll dip our toe Luck on Sunday proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai we are joined on the line by Bruce Minnington, former editor of the Racing Post still obviously uh, contributing to the Racing Post as well Bruce how are you? Morning gents all well in your world? Very well, thank you. Excellent, excellent. Now, Bruce, uh, obviously uh, the Derby last weekend uh, featured some uh, post-race or post-Derby criticism for ITV's coverage uh, in certain sections of social media. Um, and in your defence of, of ITV's coverage, you've mentioned certain aspects of the sport and the way it's covered um, that perhaps don't need any, what's the word, in relation to Charlie Brooks's uh, article in the Telegraph where he was saying in an analysis, post-race analysis there was no sectional timing etc just specify your, your thoughts on, on the way that racing is portrayed on, on terrestrial television first well, of all I mean I think what a lot of racing people seem to struggle with is that ITV's brief is different to what your brief is on racing TV and what um, Sky Sports Racing's brief is um, it's much more of an entertainment show. They're there, like all ITV shows, to, to get the biggest possible audience. And they do things that hardcore racing fans don't particularly like, such as fashion segments and the social stable featuring uh, Chris Hughes from Love Island. Um, and, you know, a call from someone like Charlie, who, you know, I'm a big fan of in a lot of ways, um, to include sectional timing in the mix, to me, just feels like the wrong ingredient for that particular show. Okay. Uh, James, we're going to bring you in here because one of the elements that Bruce is saying is that sectional timing, perhaps, uh, has no real uh, place on a, on a show like, say, terrestrial television, but does have a place in... Racing TV, Sky Sports yeah, Racing. Yeah, I'd agree with what Bruce is saying on the, on yeah. in the, in the context of ITV racing. Uh, I think other places, however, I would disagree. Can, can I just, Bruce, can, I'd like your opinion on this, really. It, it, do you think that there should be a different brief between terrestrial and specialist uh, channels? Because, you know, if, if we look at football, for example, there's pretty much the same level of analysis on, say, match of the day to what you would find on 
on Sky Sports, you know, which obviously you have to pay for, and so it, you you have to show a level of commitment to say the Premier League to fork out the money to to get all the Premier League games on on Sky. Do, do you think the brief should be should be different? I, I do, David. Really, in so much as that you know, someone forking out for racing TV is obviously you know a hardcore racing fan. But, but is the same not true of someone who who forks out for for Sky Sports to watch the football? Yeah, but I mean, I suppose the question is, you know, with, with racing, you can delve, and the, the the onion takes a lot more peeling, if you if you know what I mean, with racing. I mean, you can you can go right into it to the extent that you know um, a guy like James will with his his level of micro analysis. I'm just not sure that the f- football necessarily is a is a is a fair uh, parallel, really. I, th- I think that with racing. You know, the professionals and the punters want a more no-nonsense, forensic approach from something like racing TV than the ITV audience possibly um, has the appetite for. So my personal view, and I may be wrong, is that there needs to be a different approach um, between the specialist channels and the terrestrial channel. I mean, one of the things that, um, you know, and, and I, am a, I, I, I wish that I knew more about sectional time, is that, and I, I, I often ring James up and say, can you... Can you you know, lead me th- through this by the hand, please, because I'm I'm not as au fait with it uh, as you are. And one of the things that it seems to me that is particularly uh, useful about sectional timings is that it seems that it's you're able to identify a very good horse early on, and surely that's what terrestrial audiences want, isn't it? To, to be able to. You know, we we talked earlier on in the program. I'm sure you're watching about that, that horse Visionari at Newmarket yesterday. Um, I remember Simon Rowlands writing about Golden Horn after he'd won at Nottingham as a two-year-old. That that those were horses whose potential uh, was uh, was revealed mm-hmm. very early uh, r- through sectional timings, rather than just looking at the the, the black yeah. and white uh, results. And and surely that's what surely that's what racing wants its wider audience to cotton on to early, uh, as early as possible. Yeah, I mean, I'm not absolutely certain that Golden Horn needed to be identified through sections, but, you know, I mean... He won a Nottingham maid, and not many people on, outside wait, Simon Rowland's house were saying he was a potential Group 1 winner, to be fair. Is it so my go now? Carry on. OK. I think that with sectionals, reporting by exception can be an interesting addition to ITV's output, but... I don't think it, it needs to feature on a regular basis. So, in other words, if sectional timing is able to identify those rare gems like Golden Horn and, and whoever else, then, then by all means reference it. But I think there's a danger that by, uh, by weaving it too closely into what ITV does, it can be a deterrent to a lot of people who aren't as committed to, to racing as, 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 as the people who, who are probably sitting in the studio with you. Just on, on the subject of, I have to be very careful, I'm in a rather precarious position here, uh, but in trying to attract, as you mentioned, ITV have a, like every terrestrial broadcaster that's ever <laughs> been in the position that ITV yeah. have been in, they've had to deal with what you pointed out, uh, you know, they're trying to attract the, the regular viewer, the one, the casual viewer, and, as, and, and also partly cater for the hardcore racing fan, which is, everyone's tried and it's almost impossible to achieve. I, I, my own thoughts on it are, shouldn't we try to make sure that the people who watch it casually come back to watch racing because they're actually interested in the sport in the long term? That's, that's the ultimate goal. You know, it's like when people go to the races, you know, you've spoken to people saying uh, when there's a, a post-racing concert, wherever it may be, and they've gone for the concert and the racing is obviously is just incidental. How do you get those people, and I'm not saying I know the answer, but how do you get those people to come back in future when there isn't a concert, when there is just racing? How do you get people to switch on to the racing when it's not the Derby, when it's not the Grand National and not Royal Ascot? And of course, on Royal Ascot and the Derby and, that and the National, those, they, they have to be segments that cater for more. There's a lot of time to fill and it needs to be entertaining. It's, it's that balance that I, I don't think anyone has ever quite achieved and I'm not saying that your article is right or wrong. I just say I don't know what the right answer is. Um, but perhaps education might be a, a, an option, but without the detail. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Rich. I mean, look, this is a question that has, um, you know, occupied the finest minds in, in rating, admin and marketing um, for, for decades, isn't it? Um, but I think the first thing you need to do is get people into the funnel. And, you know, someone like Chris Hughes, who, who you know, some of the racing hardcore kind of scoff at uh, his popularity. But you have to realise that a guy like him with his enormous social media following, he, he will actually have alerted people to the fact that the derby was taking place that they, they wouldn't have known. So at that first level of engagement, what ITV does is, is absolutely excellent. And then if people do get bitten, like we all did, you know, we all, I mean, unless you grew up in, in a racing environment, which I didn't, and, and David, I know you certainly didn't, and, and James, I don't suppose you did. You know, we, we all needed something to, to get us to, to, to get attracted to racing. And, you know, you need that initial level of engagement. And then if you like what you see, you then delve deeper into it. So I'm not sure that suddenly hitting people with sectional timing on ITV is, is going to do that. And in actual fact, there's a danger that it might actually be quite daunting and off-putting. Yeah, I, I just wonder with that, Bruce, whether there is... Uh, room for both schools because you know I, I, I was talking earlier on this week about you know the, the, obviously the, the picture in the Racing Post of the, the the hill between 2011 and 2019 and how there were fewer people on it and I think that those of us in the racing media bubble mm -hmm. we tend to think that 50 years ago race courses were full of people making paddock notes well of course of course they weren't <laughs> they were full of people drinking trying to pull doing every you know you look at William Powell Frith's Derby. Uh, day, which yeah. has got every form of human yep. activity. It's hardly got a picture of a horse uh, on the canvas. And, but I wonder if there's room for both here, because, you know, it's, it's, it's hardly possible these days to get on the train from Forest Hill into central London without hearing two young mothers talking about optostats and the use of <laughs> Jurgen Klopp's gig and press. And I just wonder whether, you know, that whilst in other sports, uh, um, linked to the increase in betting on that, that sport, the, the, the level of analysis and sort of data consumption has gone up and up and up. And in horse racing, and, you know, as, as a, the correspondent of the Daily Mirror, our, our, our data output is pretty much the same as... Certainly, when I took when I took the job in two thousand and two, and I just wonder if that's something that really we ought to be focusing on. You know, one of the things that I, I've always admired about James is that what there's no there's no mysticism to what James talks about. It's data. We're not we're not we're not standing by a paddock and listening to a, a, some guy go through the dark arts of, of paddock observation, saying, "Oh, this is a lovely type." What what James talks about. Is data all it takes is someone to sit down and actually concentrate, look at that, and and they can they can actually digest it quite easily. I don't, I don't agree with that, David. I don't. I think sectional data is very hard to understand and digest. I really do. And James, you may come in here. Listen, I would just say on data. Yes, we do need to keep moving ahead. I mean, you look at how popular XG is on football. I think there's there's three areas of data that racing really should be looking to 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 um, adopt. Horses' weights, I think there has to be some correlation between the weights of horses and the fluctuation in their weights and the fluctuation in performance. I would like to see tracking used to be able to enable us to see just how much further than the, than the actual trip of a race each horse ran. And I would also like to see some sort of timing device put before and after each obstacle at a set distance so that we could get some sort of jumps performance rating for each horse. I think they're really clear. I think with the latter one, you could tell whether a horse has jumped well or badly in a numerical way. Yes, I just feel, look, James, yeah, no, yeah. I'll go back to you on this one, actually. You know, you've said you, you don't fully understand sectionals. I don't remotely understand sectionals. We've both been doing this between us for half a century. So if we don't get it, then it's not as easily digestible as you, as you yeah, said. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's I, I, what I meant was, I'd like to have. I, I would like to devote more time to it. Essentially, when 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 I ring James and say, right, just help me through this, I, I find the the data that he spoon feeds me uh, perfectly accessible and easy to understand. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. 
here with the Hall of Famer Johnny Velasquez flying all across the country and all across the world as per usual. You're here at Santa Anita today, but we want to talk about Royal Ascot. You've had success there in the past. Over the years and over your time riding there, what have you learned about riding at Royal Ascot? It's a great experience, uh, number one. Obviously, uh, great racing. You know, a lot of good horses come out of there and, and they, you know, they meet there um, just to be there and be part of it and, and the, the atmosphere and the town, everything is something to, you know, to experience and uh, I really get to enjoy it a lot. Part of the whole experience is just the tradition of it all, but have you noticed any changes? Has it changed in the time that you've ridden there? Well, uh, if I go back from the first time I went, you know, they renovated the whole thing, you know, for the first time I went, so they changed big time. Uh, well, the second time I, I went there, um, it was brand new, you know, they, they, they redo the, the whole grass, and it used to be an, an inclined hill, pretty, pretty stiff, and right now it's more gradually than, than uh, when I went the first time in 2000. So it has changed a lot, and it's very fancy and very fun, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful place. Some really electrifying performances that we've seen there, too, but I wanted you to take me back to 2017, to Lady Aurelia. I was watching that race again this morning. When she turns it on, I mean, there's almost nothing like it. Can you describe that feeling of being aboard her that day in 2017? You know, it's, it's so fun to have a horse that you know you, you have underneath of you and then just sitting on and you haven't even asked her to do anything. And all of a sudden you ask and instantly respond. Um, there's nothing better than that, really. It is it's the, the feeling that you get and, and the emotions that you get at the same time, you know, uh, an equality race like that one and being an Ascot and, and all of a sudden she responds for the things you want to do and as quick as she, she did it. It's incredible. You know, this is this is what we live. You know, this is what we we dream for. Um, and to get it done and, and there, that's a, definitely a great feeling. She was one for Wesley Ward. You'll be going back to ride for Wesley again this year. Is there something different when you sit on one of Wesley Ward's two-year-olds, whether it's there or in America? Do you feel something different in their preparation, in the gate break? What is it that he does so well and so uniquely? Um, obviously, he's well known for the two-year-old, basically, you know, and he does a great job. But, you know, I don't want to say just the two-year-olds because I look at Lady Aurelia when three years back to or two or three years back to back. I said she was on the two-year-old three and as a four, right, I believe. So, um, and she did really well. Uh, but definitely the, th- the two-year-olds, he gets them ready and how they do a great job with them is incredible. You know, they've been doing it for a long time and they're ready. You know, they know that when you get on them, they're, they're ready, they're ready to run, um, you excited to be on top of them. That's, 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 that's what I can tell you, yeah. One of his horses for this year is Lady Aurelia's little sister, Lady Pauline. I was at Keeneland the day that she broke her maiden, the day you were aboard her. Watching her just turn it on down the stretch was exhilarating for me as a fan. What was it like for you? It was for me as, as the rider, too, <laughs> trust me, when I was on it. And he, he told me she might be a little faster than Lady Aurelia. So like, I didn't believe him, you know, because it's always, you know, the, the comparison onto the run and then that she run. And she run the way she did. It was very, very impressive. Um, so, yeah, I was very happy when, when I would come back. I was like, well, I guess you were right. She might be the next Lady Aurelia. So it was, it was very impressive, definitely. I could tell how much you like her because you actually went to England for her trial race on May the 1st. She finished second that day, and I thought she had some unfair criticism. With all that was thrown at her at two years old, did you come away still encouraged by her prospects for Ascot this year? You know, she got beat, and people get down on the horses right away. You know, she was very impressive, you know, the first time out. You know, she's only run once, and then you have to go and travel all the way and across the world, you know, to, to run over there. She got there, I don't know, three or four days before the race. And she get to train in a couple of days and get get used to uh, their track a little bit, and she's going up a hill for her first time though. You know, so she got a little bit tired. The track was a little bit different today. They had the track narrowed down, and then a lot of people were uh, around the wire. So when she started going to the wire, she started looking around and she slowed down. Even she was getting tired, she was hold. She was seemed like she was gonna hold down, and all of a sudden she kind of waited and. Uh, seeing all the people because once she passed the wire and passed the people she went on again so I think it was a little bit of two things you know she getting a little tired and then all the people surrounded by the wire so it was an experience for her uh, we don't get to see that in America you know it's so clear so you know there was a lot of people uh, by the uh, by the wire that she kind of looked up and she got surprised by the by the other horse Sounds like a real learning experience for her. You'll be on something in the Norfolk. Wesley's still working on that. And then also Chili Patine. You rode her when she broke her maiden at Keeneland as well. She seemed to me like a little bit bigger stride, a little bit, covers a little more ground. What can you tell me about her? They're, again, very fast. <laughs> Wesley is known for, for that, you know, the aggressive babies. Um, very well, you know, you know, balanced and very fast. I think, like you said, she covers a lot of ground. Um, 
and you know they have to run in the grass and up up hill. So hopefully he has plenty of time to bring it over there and get get used to it. And um, and if she shows up the way that she showed up showed up in uh, Keelan, I think they'll be okay. You know they'll really be okay. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. Very, very warm welcome to former champion jockey sitting to my left, Seb Sanders. Seb, it's great to see you. I haven't seen you for ages. Um, and just chatting before we came in here, you're riding out at Charlie Appleby's these days. Um, how much are you enjoying that? Yeah, it's great. I'm, I love it. Um, uh, it's give me, give me a reason to get up in the morning, perhaps for a start. But, uh, you know, there's a great bunch of staff and... Uh, for the three or four hours we were there, we we tend to have a good giggle. But uh, yeah. you know, riding nice horses, and as I say, the atmosphere is really good. Uh, lots to to obviously talk about because if we were if we're entirely honest, you sort of disappeared for a bit, and no one. Well, where's Seb Seb Sanders gone? He's champion jockey. Um, what what sort of happened at the end of your your riding days? Uh, things weren't going great. Um, I was really struggling with my weight. And uh, you know, I'd give my body a good belt for 25 years, and uh, yeah, just to need to step back. And yeah. it took a while for me to realise that I should take a step back. I battled as hard as I could for for a while, and then a you know wife turned around and says, "Come on, you know, yeah. just take a step back, and yeah. if your body comes right, you can do whatever." But it's uh, as you can see, uh, I got a bit of bloke this morning. <laughs> Um, <laughs> to be fair, it's a, it's a light bloat in comparison to some of us. So. Yeah, well, it's horrible. I ate it and I will get rid of it, but uh, I had to let my body just go. And, you know, we're sort of nearly three years down the line mm. and it's still not listening to me. And, you know, I work hard every day and whatever. And I'm, I'm not eating fish and chips and what sort. I still have my gin and tonics. Um, but, uh, yeah, body took a real good bashing for 25 years yeah. and... Uh, uh, it's, it's took its toll a little bit. Is it, is it obviously uh, interesting you mentioned the weight because obviously at the end of the career there was that incident. I mean, I, I was joking with you about wearing shoes today. Uh, there was that time that you went out on the race course without any boots, um, which attracted so much attention. Um, and obviously people were sort of, some people laughed about it, some people think, but it was obviously related to what you're talking about and, yeah. and the weight which yeah. you, were, you were struggling with. Yeah, it, it was just never end. I was, I mean, I think. I've, I think I took about eight pound off already that day and got stuck in traffic and had another pound to take off and just a nightmare. Uh, I thought uh, I thought I thought they were a bit unfair on me a little bit because that was the best run that horse ran all year. <laughs> right, but I've I've actually got the socks on that I wore the that actual day. socks that you wore. On that <laughs> They've been on a week if you want to touch them. <laughs> That's <laughs> all right. It's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll pass for now. Yeah. Let, let, let's talk about about some of the good times. Seb, uh, champion jockey in two thousand and seven. That amazing battle yeah. with with Jamie Spencer. I mean, do you, do you still sit and reflect and reminisce? Um, you do in a way. I mean, it was a great achievement in the fact that you know we'd we'd rode two hundred and thirty winners that year, thirteen winners that yeah. year, and we'd you know we, we tied on one hundred and ninety and. Um, the last day was was you know basically what had been happening all season. For, for what happened on the last day was just immense. It was you know it was it was a great experience. I loved every minute of it. Um, but it was all a bit of a blur because you 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 know by the time you finished the day's work you were already head down and you were back up the next day. But I loved it. I loved every minute of it. But as I say. It all, Always a bit of a blur by the last day, yeah. where it, the last day seemed to last four, six weeks. Yeah. You know, because it was just, uh, it, it was something I've always wanted to experience that kind of uh, pressure, you know, yeah, that the, the most sportsmen get to yeah. do a, a, a Masters or a, or a Wimbledon final. And, yeah. I got to experience it and I, I thrived on it. I was just about to say, through that battle with, with Jamie, both of you obviously squaring up against each other and you both seem to really embrace the challenge of it and do, obviously any jockey in a chance of winning the championship, they all go for it, but you seem to relish the fact that you had the opportunity to, to have this experience. Yeah, I, I think you know the last sort of four or five weeks I probably rode as well as I ever did. Um, 
and everything that I sort of planned and did for that day seemed to, seemed to pay off. Um, you know, I, I, I can't explain it. It was you know I was, I was winning on horses that were probably I wouldn't have won on before. Uh, would it would it be fair to say that when you're in that sort of position, the instincts become so sharp and your ability to make decisions and the right decisions in crucial moments are like no other time you ever experienced in your career? It's like I say about the pressure, you know, you know, some people rise to it and some people don't, you know, and um, the, more, the more pressure situation I got put in, the better I did. Um, and I'm not blowing me on trumpet, but, you know, that I was never ever phased of a big meeting or yeah. a big ride or anything. and. To do it day in day out for the last four or five weeks. Yeah. I mean, it was a great season. It was, but I think the last four or five weeks, I I don't think I ever rode any better. Yeah. How proud of yourself were you? Um, I, you know, I think, you know, as I say, uh, 213 winners in a season. Um, I think at the time there's only been, I think, uh, Frankie and Jason did it mm. one season and. And Mice Roberts, and then of course you've got to go back to Gordon yeah. Richards. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a feat in itself. Um, and of course, I mean, we, we had, you know, most races were, were full up as well, so you weren't just yeah. riding against six or seven horses, yeah. um, which is unfortunately what's happening at the moment, which is, you know, a different subject, but you know, it was, yeah. was, you know, was pretty much full field, so yeah. you had to be on your game. And what, what are your thoughts on the way the, the championship's decided now? Um, the start and finish, uh, I think they made a mistake. Um, the only thing I think they, they, they could have done to change it was um, maybe just have winners on the turf. So that then you bring in Frankie and then you get Ryan Morgue involved, Andrea Razzini. Yeah. Um, no disrespect to the jockeys that have been winning it, but to the what I think are the top top jockeys, it, you know, with the big races and yeah. and going abroad and and all that, it just defaces it a little bit. Fair enough. Uh, big race success, uh, obviously. Group one wins. Your relationship with Sir Mark Prescott, uh, a great. Uh, people are already contacting you. Tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's Sam, yeah. uh, the former champion jock. Yeah. Um, your relationship with Sir Mark Prescott. Yeah. Um, how much did you enjoy that? I loved the job. We did extremely well, and um, it was well organised. And you know, I got to ride some nice horses, and mm. we were extremely successful. I think if we look at the you know the strike rates, I think I don't think we ever dipped below thirty yeah. percent in the season, which is quite phenomenal, really. You know, in fifteen years, you um, you know one in three won, um, and yeah, it was it was a well-oiled team. Um, yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed my time when I first started there with George. George was a great yeah. sort of, um, you know, guy to look up to, and and uh, I wouldn't say he took me on the wing. He was too miserable for that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he was a great guy to you know follow in the footsteps, and yeah. I learnt a hell of a lot off George. Yeah. What what would be the the key things that you you got off George? I, I'd say his hardiness and his ruthlessness. Um, he was. He was a very determined man, and uh, I say you say like he's dead. He's not. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he was. You know, he was the ultimate professional for me, yeah. George. Um, you know, he was always on time, always well shaven, and all that, all that kind of lark. But uh, yeah. he was a great jockey too, real strong. Um, yeah, he was one of them jockeys. Who, if he got inside you, you know, you were in for a tough time. Yeah. Um, you weren't going to shake him off too easy. Um, but uh, a great guy to boot. And everyone loves Sir Mark Prescott, loves hearing his stories, loves uh, the, the, the chat that uh, he often brings with him. What was he like to ride for during those years? He's pretty straightforward in the, in the fact that um, he'd have a plan with a horse um, and you know it was just a case of going out and executing the orders. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, if, if, if we executed the orders, and the horse got beat, then that was fair enough, and it was it was quite easy to ride for him. When you say a plan, I mean, did he ever sort of explain to you, say, when you jumped on a horse and a handicap at Bath, stepping up in distance, saying, look, this has got tons in hand, or did he just let you do what you want to do without? 
I already knew how much I had in hand. I'd been riding it work, and I'd rode it, rode it as a two-year-old, you know, and you'd get, you'd get some sort of feel for a horse. Um, obviously, they were bred for, for getting further. Yeah. Um, but, um, I mean, you know, it was just, you know, we had these big backward horses, and, yeah. and you know, everyone thinks it's, you know, we were, we were being devious, but we weren't. We were, those horses got real good experience as a two-year-old, and um, you know we didn't frighten them as two-year-olds, um, so I mean, and it wasn't against the rules. So you know we weren't we weren't going out there stopping them or giving them a run. Yeah. They just weren't capable. Um, and then it was just a case of patience and wait for them to come to hand at three. Yeah. And normally by the time they're running, which is, is June, everyone else's three-year-olds have had a shot, and they, they are what they are. And of course we had horses that were improving. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, when you when you break it up, you think, you know, it's actually quite a simple system. But yeah. to actually have the patience to execute it is pretty good. Uh, and there weren't just handicaps. Obviously, there were some very very good horses at the high end, the likes of Hooray, Confidential Lady. Yeah. Um, what 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 victories would have stood out for you during that during that period? I mean, I, I got a fair amount of abuse for um, Confidential Lady in the PDR. And you got a piece <coughs> for that? Uh, yeah, I got eight days, and yeah, I, I, look, I, got, I, I wouldn't say I got carried away. I was doing my job, um, and you know, you, you can look at it from either side. But um, I'd say it was probably one of my best rides I ever gave a horse. Um, it, it was poetry. Um, I was, I was always looking for perfection, and I think I got quite close to it that day. What? Why? What was the thing that? It was. If, it was just the fact that you know we knew Germans had a uh, a pacemaker. We were drawn on the inside, yeah. and I had the, the whistler Kieran Fallon on my on my on my left, and, yeah. and you know the the plan was to actually follow Germans. When I jumped out, Kieran had got half length on me, and I just thought, well, if anyone can get out of a pocket, Kieran can, because Chantee is not the easiest track to ride. Yeah. So yeah, we followed. Kieran and <coughs> and uh, Germans, and of course we guaranteed the pace, and uh, yeah, I mean she took a bit of persuading to get going, and we knew she would, and uh, <coughs> you know, uh, you know, I regretted it afterwards, but you know, at the time, heat in the moment, and you know, we were in rhythm, and you know, I just, I just thought it was, it was probably one of my finest hours. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.